education is not the panacea for inequity in our country, especially in this incredibly historic time uh, that we've been in, but it still represents and is this incredible lever around economic mobility. It reframes, redefines how a person dreams in this really beautiful and gorgeous way. I talk a lot about how it's hard to dream things that you don't know exist. And what education does is gives you proximity to different stories, different experiences within the context of that. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, we have several exciting announcements for our podcast community. Marnie and I are so excited to introduce the Art of Living Well Membership Tribe, which is our new premium membership for our community that we created for people just like you who deserve to find their art of living well. We know how great you feel when you're taking care of yourself. The problem is this can be hard to implement and sustain. And we know how much confusion exists about what your body needs to thrive. We believe that having a roadmap and accountability and inspiration are super important as you move along your health and wellness journey. And we know that you want to feel amazing in your own skin and have a community of like-minded people along with two board-certified integrative health practitioners and holistic health coaches to hold you accountable to whatever you want to achieve. When you're part of our membership tribe, you'll have access to Marnie and I for two live video and Q&A sessions each month. You'll get short guided meditations, recipe books, a private daily support chat, and so much more. We hope you head over to our website to check out more of the details and hopefully sign up. And you can access that at www.theartoflivingwell.us slash programs. And we've included more of the details and the links in the show notes to this episode. We also have a free online workout guide, which supports lots of small and female-owned businesses, And you can find the link to download this guide in our show notes or on our Instagram profile. And Marnie and I have discovered many of these over the past year as we pivoted and started working out at home more. We've also been hanging out on Clubhouse, which if you haven't heard of Clubhouse yet, it's a new audio-only social networking app. And it's a really cool platform where you can interact live with people, including many experts around the world, Um, in a variety of areas, and it's just a really welcoming and collaborative space. And we're so excited to share that we just got approved to host our own club. It's called The Art of Living Well. And this platform is invite only, but please reach out to us if you need an invitation to join because we have some to share. We are hosting rooms in our new club, typically on Wednesdays, usually around one o'clock central or in the evenings. And they're on a variety of topics. We've been hosting one on sugar and how to help have a healthy relationship with sugar that's been really popular. 
And we'd love to hear from you about topics that you want to hear. And you guys can actually interact with us live, which is really cool. And we'd love to get to know our listeners more. And finally, we have one favor to ask of each of you. We would love, if you're enjoying this podcast, if you would take just two minutes to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Doing so really helps us reach more people so that others can benefit from the inspiring conversations and resources that we share each week. If you enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you would share it with a friend, a family member, or anyone who you think may benefit from this information. And of course, we'd love if you would share it on social media, take a picture, and tag us. We are thrilled to welcome today's guest, Chastity Lord. Chastity has spent two decades dedicated to dismantling systems of inequity for marginalized communities. She deeply believes that generational poverty is a social justice issue and that families are the best owners and narrators of their lives. History has proven time and again that building infrastructure, leadership, and power for marginalized communities creates a contagion of long-term change. Chastity's professional North Star and commitment to equity and justice for the past two decades is influenced by her own personal experience as a first-generation college graduate. Chastity understands that education is not the panacea for inequity, but unapologetically credits it to transforming how she dreams and disrupting the cycle of poverty for her own family, which she shares on today's show. Chastity has a robust resume working for several organizations, including Color of Change, Achievement First, and the Posse Foundation before recently landing at the Jeremiah Program. During our conversation with Chastity, we talk about how education can transform someone to dream big, even when all they've known is poverty. And she shares her very profound ideas as we move the conversation around generational poverty from an economic issue to a social justice one. Chastity is focused on disrupting the unconscious bias we have for the female-run single mom households that are experiencing poverty and what people assume is going on inside the home. Her thirst for learning and experiences about people really comes through during today's conversation. And you'll also learn about the mission of Jeremiah program where Chastity is currently serving as president and CEO. And the Jeremiah program is a national nonprofit based in Minneapolis whose mission is helping single moms find success in the workplace and on the home front. And this organization uses a two-generational model, which is committed to disrupting generational poverty by supporting single moms and their children. Their holistic approach begins with establishing a supportive community for single mothers to pursue a college track and college education, and that in combination with quality early childhood education, access to affordable housing, empowerment, and life skills training really sets this organization apart and allows families to dream what is possible. We know you're going to love this conversation. It's extremely inspiring and thought-provoking, but before we dive into today's episode with Chastity, let's hear a word from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Appetite for Change. Appetite for Change is a nonprofit in North Minneapolis that uses food as a tool for health, wealth, and social change. 
This year, in light of COVID and the unrest in Minneapolis, Appetite for Change has continued to ground themselves in their mission and center their work around community connection and nourishing food. They launched a pilot program called Community Cooks Meal Boxes, which provides fresh produce and pantry items, plus two recipes for over 300 families at no cost to the family. The program has been such a success that it has been extended for another six weeks and will continue into 2021. AFC has utilized the kitchens of their two restaurants, Breaking Bread Cafe and Station 81, to produce over 200,000 meals that have been distributed across the Twin Cities to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need. In addition, they have seven farm plots across North Minneapolis that are tended to by community members and Appetite for Change youth learning how to grow a variety of plants. These fresh fruits and vegetables are distributed throughout the North Side. Even in 2021, Appetite for Change is committed to building a more equitable food system by delivering fresh and nourishing food to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need, tending urban gardens and more. We have been collaborating with Appetite for Change over this past year, and we have loved their dedication to their mission, and we so look forward to volunteering with their organization and working with them more in 2021. To learn more about Appetite for Change, listen to episode 31 of our podcast with one of their founders, Michelle Horowitz. For more information or to donate, head on over to appetiteforchangemn.org backslash impact or on Instagram and Facebook at Appetite for Change. Welcome, Chastity. We are so excited to have you on our show today. We, um, we met at Jeremiah's annual bullfrog, bullfrog Bash back in 2019, right when I believe you joined the organization as CEO. And my husband was on the board of this wonderful organization for nine years, and we're both very passionate about the mission of the Jeremiah program to disrupt poverty two generations at a time by helping the mothers and children. And so we're really excited to have you on the show today. So Happy to be here. Yes. Um, <laughs> so everyone has a story and we would love for you to share yours and your journey and how you became passionate about pursuing social justice with a focus on education. I think people actually have stories. Um, so, um, and I think depending on uh, the audience, uh, the story, I'm trying to pick which story would make uh, kind of the most sense. And so I'm not gonna give full book chapter verse, um, but the headline is, is that I live a life that um, in a lot of ways, my mom couldn't have dreamed for me and my grandmother couldn't dream for me. Um, they didn't know people like me. And, um, and I work hard, um, relatively smart, all of those things, but um, there's definitely been some incredible uh, kind of kismet within the context of my life. I'm the middle of three girls, um, grew up mostly in Southern California by way of Oklahoma, spent some time in St. Paul actually, um, and just moved around a lot. Nobody was in the military, uh, just uh, nomadic and poor uh, and really transient within the context of that. Uh, one of the biggest lovers though, uh, that was a constant in my life is the role of education and the role that my mother talked about with um, within that, we spent a lot of you know uh, time during the summer at libraries reading books. We could go to the movies, but when you went to the movie, you had to write a book report about that, and so that was also <laughs> um, within the context of that. And so, when you ask the question, why education, why social justice, is 
I'm under no illusion uh, that um, education is not the panacea for inequity in our country, especially in this incredibly historic time uh, that we've been in, but it still represents and is this incredible lever around economic mobility. Um, it reframes, redefines how a person dreams in this really beautiful and gorgeous way. Um, I talk a lot about how it's hard to dream things that you don't know exist. Um, and what education does is gives you proximity to different stories, different experiences within the context of that. Um, so in a lot of ways, that's my why. It's a part of who I am. Ultimately, I see myself as a manifester. So your mom really um, kind of did direct you into education. It sounds like she really promoted um, learning by taking you to the library and the movies. And um, she kind of helped you direct you that way a little bit, would you say? Yeah, definitively. And I would say it's not even... Um, just direction. It was like from the hair follicles. It was the culture in the home. It was the mm -hmm. culture of expectation. Um, and not just education within the traditional kind of uh, sense. It's around um, a thirst for learning around uh, stories uh, and experiences and the how of um, things exist, why people exist, uh, et cetera. And so that's what I fell in love with in a lot of ways. And I think that's what she inspired. Kind of dismantle the pictures in front of you and understand how those pictures have come together. Mm -hmm. that, that's beautiful um, for your mom to be able to do that for you. And, you know, I know you have sisters. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like being the first member of your family to graduate from college? It wasn't, it was... Um, it wasn't uh, particularly epic in the moment. Um, it has become much more profound to me. Um, the farther I get away from that moment, the truth of the matter is, um, which is you know slightly naive because I was in this culture of education. I always knew I was gonna go to college. Didn't quite understand how, and that wasn't a part of the equation, but it was always just kind of part of this formula. And so I, I always saw myself in that uh, space, in that seat. And so there wasn't a lot of um, dissonance there. And the whole idea of graduating, that in itself also just felt um, understood uh, within the context of my um, kind of makeup. But let me be very clear. I was quite the non-traditional student. Uh, in a lot of ways. And so it wasn't that I was like super academic, but you know, when someone makes something a part of your, um, your identity, when someone kind of creates a space where it's understood that this is what we do, we eat vegetables, we meditate, whatever it is, it becomes a part of your norm in this way that you can't quite um, kind of shake off. And obviously there's a deficit to how that can uh, show up as well. And so um, I would say um, it was a non-event event. Uh, it has become an incredible um, lens in which I see and think about uh, who I am and what I do as I've moved away from that. You know, one of the things I uh, have talked about is that, you know, people run a marathon, they put a sticker in their car, like 26.2 miles, you know, people run half a marathon and they put a sticker on their car. Um, you know, uh, people go to a certain vacation spot, put a sticker on their car. And what happens with a lot of times around first generation college attendees and graduates is 
It's something you get through, you get the birthday cake, you get the towels and you don't talk about it anymore. And I just think it's just really important for us to kind of lift up uh, and bring visibility to that. Um, it's something to be celebrated and rewarded. And as I talked about earlier, it's hard to dream things that you don't know exist. And if we have more proof points, more examples of people doing and being, um, it can become normalized too in this really powerful way. Absolutely. I mean, you, you could be a role model and inspiration for so many other people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, give them the lens. So let's dive into this topic a little further. So how can education transform or give someone opportunities to change their destiny, to dream big, reimagine their life when maybe all they've known is poverty? Hmm. It's interesting. I... You know, when it happened for me in a lot of ways in um, 2016, it's one of the ways, one of the reasons I moved away from kind of direct um, education specific work and looking at uh, more kind of uh, integrated uh, opportunities, organizations, etc. It was very clear to me that you can't educate your way out of um, the inequity in criminal justice. You can't uh, educate your way out of um, uh, racial violence. You can't educate your way out of pay disparity. You can't educate your way out of um, health justice. And education, Marnie, still represents this incredible lever. Um, but I'm at a place now where I understand it's a yes and. And you know, one of the things that I have really started to push and talk about is that poverty, especially generational poverty, is not a economic issue. When you see poverty, especially generational poverty as an economic issue, you can look at inputs such as, such as education, the degree, the house, the bank account, and you know the, the challenges that come with that will dissipate. I actually believe now that is a social justice issue. And when I anchor it around social justice, generational poverty is a social justice issue, it creates a space and centers the complexity of that ecosystem. You can't have an unjust health justice system without an unjust educational system. You can't have an unjust criminal justice system without an unjust um, environmental justice system. They work in concert with each other. And one of the things I want to highlight, and um, I get really excited about opportunities to talk with folks um, like you is helping people understand that the degree education is a critical lever, but by no means is it the dominant variable within um, that economic mobility. And I think we're seeing it in this really real way within the context of COVID-19 disproportionately COVID-19 is showing up where? It's showing up disproportionately in lower income communities, disproportionately. Disproportionately lower income communities are dominated by racial groups of black and Latinx communities. Does COVID-19 attract a certain racial group? No. You're seeing the inequities of the health justice system showing up within the context of the economic and the work justice. You, we are seeing it in play in this really real time. Also regarding public schools and all of a sudden certain schools aren't able to open because the bathrooms won't work or the sinks weren't compared or they didn't have a nurse in the school. All of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, why didn't they? And once again, you're starting to see this intersection regarding kind of this particular um, kind of moment. So. 
yes, education, dominant lever. We have to shift and um, kind of evolve that, um, that conversation from poverty, especially generational poverty, not just being an economic issue, but a social justice one, and really looking at that full ecosystem. Which is so overwhelming, right? Like when you're talking about all these different, you know, things intersecting, like it's, it's a huge problem <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that it's so many different parts are connected. How do you, how do you make an impact? Well, and it also seems like the people on the outside are just like acting like they know what everyone needs, right? Oh, they just need education and then we'll fix all the problems without really listening, right? That kind of seems like what almost is at the root of what you're saying. All of the above. And I would also just say that um, our country has done incredible things before. We have dealt with insurmountable frameworks and ideas. Um, We have had um, very poor ways of responding to challenges and um, revisited them and kind of taken a different path. You know, there was a time in our country, literally, where certain people could not vote. And um, first and foremost, people want to catch amnesia. Um, Nobody could vote except kind of white men. And then um, there was a huge movement within the context of that. And then white women were able to vote. Not everybody, just white women and white men. And then our country continued to evolve and learn. And then 1965, you see the Voting Rights Act kind of pushed within the context of that. You see 1954, Brown versus Board. You see Plessing versus Ferguson. You see the DOMA. Like we have to remember these insurmountable, unwildly huge inequity moments um, that we've lived through as a country. Um, how do you eat an elephant? You know, that African pervert kind of one bite at a time. We just have to stay in motion and just not catch amnesia that we, you know, there's this phrase I use, we haven't behaved magnificently. We've done some really incredible things before. We've done things like to education Pell Grants and Stafford loans and GI bills. And imagine that happening in 2021 without, um, the word um, handout or things kind of associated with it. Those are the foundations around economic mobility in this country. That's the foundation of the working class and the middle class. That's how many people were first-generation college graduates within the context of that. We have done some really amazing things in our country. We just have to remember and stay in motion and stay in conversation, I think, with our greatness. Um, But you're absolutely right. It does feel immobilizing. Um, but what did Amber say yesterday uh, for the inauguration? You know, she talked about um, um, democracy is the sun, and may we remember that we are the stars. Like we, we are this illuminating in the aggregate. Um, I bet on us every day. In the mm-hmm. aggregate, I bet us. I bet on us every day. You know, you've done a lot of work, and you've been working in a lot of dif- different organizations. You spent two decades working to dismantle systems of inequity for marginalized communities and often speaking about the unconscious bias around poverty, you know, can you share how you've done this or been leading the organizations that you've worked with um, and really helping to give these communities a voice? No, in a lot of ways, I'm a student. I'm a student of excellence. Uh, And excellence isn't a fixed um, mindset or a fixed state. 
um, I love learning. I love understanding um, what influenced you to make that decision, what influenced you not to make this decision. Um, I've raised money for a long time and I get to meet with some really, really incredible people um, uh, within the context of that. And one of my favorite questions is, um, I was talking to someone who was like number five investor in Starbucks. You know, they did well. Um, they, um, and I was talking to Bob and I was saying to Bob, I was, uh, one of my questions is, um, uh, what do you know now that you wish you knew then? And um, Bob said to me, he goes, I wish I knew that I could fail. And he says so much a part of the definition of success is around scoring. And he says, but the truth of the matter is there's no incredible story out there um, um, of journey of someone kind of doing something pretty incredible that hasn't had um, um, just some epic noisy failures. Not There's some silent ones, I call them noisy when everybody, they're reverberating, but some noisy failures. And he says, when you're trying to live a life in absence of failing, you actually lose momentum. You actually lose kind of real estate within the context of that. And so when I think about um, leading an organization, taking on really incredible and wieldy things that we talked about earlier, it's making sure that I am not trying to compose a scenario that's absence of making mistakes because if anybody needs to be playing big, <laughs> it's us within the context of that. And the other, one of the other things that um, someone uh, told me, and I was talking about a student of um, excellence is um, I have been reminded to um, uh, enlist people in the vision. And it's so important, not just to kind of come up with an idea, but really making people feel as though they can wrap their arms around it and they deeply understand and can embrace kind of what we're taking on and what we're doing. Um, in a lot of ways, one of the things I've learned is that I cannot underestimate enlisting people in a vision over and over and over. What they needed on Monday might be very different on Friday. What in January might be very different than they needed it in September. And as much as I want to say that me as a leader, I, I play such a critical role kind of sitting at the, the nexus of that, the most important thing I can do is to create a space and create an environment where people are um, have the ability to, to assess and be in conversation with their greatness. And so when, you know, back in the days when we used to get on airplanes, we know what it's like to have a flight attendant who understands their role within the context of that flight ecosystem. We understand a server who understands their role within that ecosystem. And if I can create an environment and an ecosystem where everybody's playing their role in the most optimal way, in the most spiritual kind of anchored way, not in this like fantastical um, sound good way, something really magical happens and you're really able to kind of push the needle and really able to kind of build a movement because movements are what produce these magical outcomes. Everything else is just what I call skinny fat. You can lose the weight, but it's not going to stay off. <laughs> can you share um, an example of a story of what you're talking about, like a real life story? Is there anything you can think of? 
I think of um, JP right now, Jeremiah program. I started end of September, basically October 2019. Sounds good. And um, and um, the pandemic hit its apex around March. Um, in addition to that, it also, uh, we had the racial awakening around May, June. And when the pandemic hit, um, it was challenging. You know, in Brooklyn, New York, there were like a thousand people dying a day. Um, they, I mean, it, it was just like some sci-fi, you know, we didn't mm -hmm. know what was going on the public school systems shut down. Like I had never seen that. The planes, airplane, it was, and it was an incredible time is in that moment, I said to myself, I, um, I thought a lot about how to enlist people in this next step because most people are gonna wanna tread water. How do we wait this out? And what I did in that moment was I really said is, what is the opportunity? And how do I enlist people in this vision around kind of the opportunity that's being presented because this was a moment where there was a forced adoption around a host of new practices and principles within the context. Before COVID, before you know, May of 2020, if you asked, you did a, a poll, how many people have um, worked from home for more than a week that it wasn't parental leave? It'd probably be in the teens, maybe in the single digits. If you ask how many people had um, socialized virtually, it would definitely be in the single digits, kind of within <laughs> the context. That if you ask people, how many people have hired a senior level person who they've never met in person, it would have been in the single digits. And so what I did in that moment, I started to understand the arbitrage, literally. And you know, there's this great Wayne Gretzky quote. He says, don't run to where the puck is, run to where it's going. And I added on to that, how do we influence the direction of the puck? And so an example of in that moment of enlisting people in that vision is kind of creating a story, creating a frame within the context of that, helping people understand. I even said, I know you want to tread right now, but put your feet down. There's no water in the pool. I like, we have got to kind of stay in motion. And so that's a concrete example of how leveraging a moment of great we're still in it uh, in a way that allowed us to start to reauthor a new chapter. And you know, by the end of the year, it was it was very clear that we were well ahead of um, peers because we weren't we were no longer responding. We we're in curation mode. How were you able to do that in the context of your organization? Maybe we dive in a little, talk a little bit for a moment about Jeremiah. Just you know, the amazing work of the organization, um, how it's fulfilling your passion to dismantle the systems of inequity for these marginalized communities. One of the things that um, we continue to be an organization, we've been around 20 years, um, the core of who we are and what we do still remains the same. A national organization committed to supporting um, and centering single moms and their kids to disrupt generational poverty two generations at a time with two key levers, housing and education. That is still at the core of who we are and what we do in our five pillars. One of the things we're doing is, as I talked about earlier regarding that Wayne Gretzky quote, how do we influence the direction of the puck, is we're working on kind of three key levers. One is around, um, I talked about it earlier, this whole idea that 
uh, moving the conversation of uh, poverty, especially generational poverty, from one that is about um, economic to a social justice issue and really kind of expanding and helping people uh, understand that if we really want to push the needle around generational poverty, we have to open up that equation. And so generational poverty is a social justice issue, not an economic one. In addition to that is the second piece around unconscious bias. There is this incredible uh, bias we have in our country around um, single moms, especially single moms experiencing poverty. And this whole idea that if you're a single mom, you're experiencing poverty, there's some type of chemical dependence, you're unhappy home, you're not a great parent. And many of us know that there's plenty of middle-class and upper-middle-class families who are struggling with a host of different things and aren't necessarily great places for kids. And you'll notice in our recent campaign is really around, you're a great mom, become a JP mom too. Most moms in our country are actually great moms. And, you know, Brene Brown has this great work around um, shame. And what is possible when a single mom experiencing poverty is able to set down the shame that is a part of um, where she finds herself within the context of her life and able to reallocate that energy in much more productive ways. It sounds nuanced, but we know storytelling matters. Narratives matter within the context of that. And this third piece is around expanding the leadership tent. One of the things that I am incredibly excited about is this whole idea that once you get the degree or once you get the job or once you have X amount in your bank account, then you become a leader. And we know we need to diversify and increase the leadership pipeline in our country. But candidly, Stephanie Marnie, typically when people are talking about that, they're talking about us. And we have got to expand that definition in a really powerful way. And one of the things we are committed to doing is making sure that a JP mom, a single mom experiencing poverty, understands their role in agency and redefining and curating, not just for their family, but also for their community in their country. While they're in motion along that, we are leaving, I'm a vegetarian, we're leaving a lot of tofu on the table <laughs> by, <laughs> by, by um, making this about um, making this around uh, destination leadership. And, um, you know, candidly, uh, a lot of um, communities of color, a lot of lower income communities have incredible amounts of single moms that are known as sheroes in that community. What happens when we actually are inviting them to tables of positional power, um, not just to sit there and be happy, but to also influence the agenda? I think Stephanie talked about earlier, in a lot of ways we want folks experiencing poverty to be recipients of these great ideas, but we actually need to position them to be solution architects. And so expanding the leadership tent, really disrupting unconscious bias around poverty and really moving the conversation of generational poverty from an economic issue to a social justice one. So that's powerful. That's, and now we will take a quick break from this episode to hear a word from our sponsor. Have you been thinking about a new home build, remodel, or even rework of a smaller space in your home? We have all spent more time in our homes over the past year, and many people are trying to recreate spaces in their homes to bring more joy and functionality to fit their lifestyles. It can be really hard to know where to turn, but Sarah and Marcy, co-founders of Chisel Architecture, are the experts that will help you gain clarity and confidence around your project. 
One of the unique aspects of chisel architecture that sets them apart from others is their trademark design approach called Pattern of Life. This approach is a game changer for homeowners and how they experience the design process. Marcy and Sarah really listen to you to fully understand your needs and advocate for you during both the design and implementation process. When you think about your home environment and how it supports you, Chisel Architecture believes your overall well-being should be in the mix. Sarah and Marcy want you to live well in your home. Because they are so passionate on their design approach, they have a special offer for our listeners. Book a two-hour consultation and receive $50 off. Simply email them at hello at chiselarc.com. That's at H-E-L-L-O at C-H-I-S-E-L-A-R-C-H dot com. And mention the Art of Living Well podcast to receive your $50 off. Consultations must be booked by June 30th to take advantage of this offer. Clearly, that's why you're the CEO, because you have these amazing ideas. I'm wondering, how do you do that? Like, how do you, how do you help a single mother? You know, there's so many things. There's a lot of extra pressure on any single mother, right? No matter what the background is. So how do you help a single mother get into a leadership role or, or out into her community and, you know, do those types of things in addition to the, you know, day-to-day kinds of things that a single mother has to do? Yeah. First and foremost, uh, as a mom that I'm not a single mom, um, there is no um, woman in this country who's not a shero. Parenting is just incredibly, incredibly unreasonable uh, on top of a host of other things that you're charged with doing. And so I just want to make sure and um, lift up uh, the incredible gender inequity around what women hold just in general. Um, but secondly, the thing that we are really working on, Marnie, is moving this conversation for not how we get mom into leadership, but how do we actually illuminate the leader that you are right now? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what it means to be raising a child powerfully in this moment, to be able to show up, to be able to say that I am betting on myself, I'm going back to college, to be able to sign up for day. You, my friend, are a leader within this moment and really illuminating that. One of the biggest things we want to continue to do is to ensure that all of a mom's identities is showing up along the journey. I We are working with moms through our empowerment program, when you head into that college classroom, don't leave the fact that you're a mom at the door. Don't leave the fact that you're a woman of color at the door. Don't leave the fact that you're experiencing poverty. Actually center that as you talk about history, as you talk about macroeconomics, that is one of your superpowers within the context of that. The lens in which you bring within the context of that is deeply, deeply powerful. Um, Really helping moms understand if you were concerned about the persistence and education of your child, the criminal justice system, that's not something you wait to get engaged with. Understand how local politics are. We want you to understand how that district attorney plays such an incredible role in anything that you are concerned about regarding that criminal justice system. And that's a local election. Those are the elections that are typically won within a thousand votes. So let's be very clear. No one wants you to know that showing up to that 
isn't directly correlated to some of the concerns that you have within the context, educating moms about the census. And so I was giving some concrete examples, but the headline here is really making sure that we're illuminating, embracing, celebrating the role of leadership as they move throughout that journey and not just kind of toward um, the outcome, kind of the outcome of graduation or persistence, et cetera. I love that. I love that. And I've never heard it in that context, you know, brought together in that way. And, you know, again, you think you talked a little bit kind of like of mindset and redefining and you're doing that along the journey, right? So it's not like, oh, once I get the degree, then mm-hmm. I can go out and get a job and be impactful and be the hero. Um, so I just love what mm-hmm. you're doing. And I've heard so many of these women at the different, you know, fundraisers speak, and it just always brings tears to my eyes. And mm-hmm. Um, just makes me want to do more myself, you know, be better and, and have an impact because what you're doing can just have such a profound impact on someone's life and not just one person, but the mm-hmm. entire family, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, changing, um, changing gears a little bit. I'm, I would love to dive, um, into the idea of being effective is more important than being right. How did you, I guess, learn that important lesson and how has that helped you navigate your own life and continue to inspire others to do the same? Get married and you'll find out. <laughs> <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> um, little humor. Um, it, the, the premise of that I, is that um, I think so many times really smart, amazing people want to watch the scoreboard. And if you watch the scoreboard, you'll know who won the game, who didn't. But there's a chance that you actually might fumble and you might miss the very experience of what you have come to do. And I often talk about just play your game and let the scoreboard do what it wants. Another way to talk about that is, do you want to play catch or do you want to throw the ball? And so oftentimes people say that they want to be in conversation with someone, but they really want to do is throw the ball. Because if you just want to throw the ball, I don't need to know if Marnie can catch uh, a, a spiral. I don't need to know if Stephanie can catch a fastball. But if I want to play catch, I have to become obsessed around where you are and what you have the ability to receive. And so that is what you know, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective about it? It's around, do I want to play catch or do I want to be throw the ball? Am I interested in getting the score or am I engaging having really incredible plays that may result in quote unquote a point, but the larger experience is actually much more kind of powerful. It, if you want to be right, good luck with that. It just doesn't mean anything. If I'm really interested in kind of moving you along in an experience, something really incredible happens. And, you know, I joked about marriage but the truth of the matter is we've all seen an experience where we know we are correct about something and just being silent and watching that other person have their own illuminating moment or we have been in the wrong and thought we were right and that moment we realize huh they gave me that point that in itself is also it, it it's it's about being a grown-up it's about mm-hmm. uh kind of evolving it's around um really um, just being really interested and um, being in community with uh, folks. I wanna be really clear though, it's not around being a punching bag. It's not around um, um, dying to self. 
it really is playing a much larger strategy. You have it's a strategic decision. It's not a decision that's based on fear. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. All those and analogies it, together. Mm-hmm. And it's really um, goes along with what we say. It's really what you're talking about is the journey, not the destination. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's what happens along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Not exactly. the final score, mm-hmm. destination, how, however you want to say it. Yep. Well, and, and how you feel and how the other person feels, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's such a great le- lesson for everyone of all age, I feel like. So Chastity, you're obviously a very successful, driven person. You're a hard worker, as you talked about early on, just you know the roots with the foundation and your education. So do you believe you've had to work harder to, where, to get to where you are today? I feel that I have to work hard to be seen, understood, yeah. to be seen and understood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how has that formed though, you as a, your character and you as a leader going through those experiences? You know, I tie it back to one of the things we were talking about earlier. It's hard to imagine things that you haven't seen or be, been proximate to. In a lot of ways, I'm the first person that um, many people have worked for with my background, with my experience that looks like me. Um, in a lot of ways, I'm the first person that has um, been charged with X um, for an individual in creating a space where people are learning about themselves as much as they're learning about me. And so it's naive of me to not acknowledge that um, a person enters into a conversation, a person enters enters into an experience um, holding what they've been proximate to and what they haven't been proximate to. Uh, and I center that, I, I, um, I acknowledge that um, like many people who walk in the world uh, like me do every day. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah, so true. Uh, so pivoting a little bit, how do you prioritize self-care? You know, given your, your role and your family um, so that you can be the best version of you for your family, for your friends, for your teams at work. Hmm. You know, we, we were talking earlier about the Rona. Um, <laughs> The truth of the matter is I feel like prioritizing self-care is, um, it is iterative. I think in a lot of ways, people wanna have a fixed state around a particular way of thinking about self-care. I have to talk about um, when you have a young child, um, what self-care looks like regarding sleep is very different than what self-care looks like regarding sleep with a 16 year old. Or if you have, uh, you know, and making sure to create some elasticity kind of within the context of that. Centering the Rona, um, young child, six-year-old, home, working from home, living from home, trying to teach a child how to read. Okay, all of that within the reality of this moment. Um, For me, it's um, taking moments to go for a run, um, just to be by myself. Um, it's sometimes staying up later than I would normally just to once again, just to have quiet time. I'm a, I'm an introvert, a high functioning introvert, but kind of, um, it's around, um, making sure that, um, uh, maybe I'm meditating, laying down in the bed, um, versus where I would normally go off to, um, a, 
a particular place because I don't have the ability to do that. I'm reading more. Um, I'm reading actual hard books versus I typically do uh, digital, but anything that kind of pulls me away from that di digital medium so that I, once again, I create these moments of escape. What I want people to hear is an authenticity that we have to be, and I have to be incredibly gentle with myself. Um, this is a historical time uh, in the most epic way um, to the point that I can't even fully embrace or understand everything that I'm feeling or experiencing just in my home, let alone externally within the context of that. And I, um, I focus on making daily decisions like what do I need today just to exhale? What do I need today to be able to get ready for tomorrow? Um, you know, candidly, self-care the past year has been deeply insufficient, in my opinion, because, I mean, if there's ever time I needed a month off, it would be <laughs> now, and, and it's so not an option within the context of that. Um, we're cooking more. All of the things that you typically leverage um, and source out are just kind of not there. Um, for a lot of, for me, if I was going to say succinctly, it's taking the little moments and also um, just being in conversation with myself regarding the little things that I can do. But it is an incredibly challenging time and I am privileged beyond, and those are the moments that I get super silent and super still because I, I understand most of America isn't on a Zoom right now pontificating about self-care. They're trying to figure out how to get to work and the bus lines have been cut by 60%. They are, hours have been cut by 50%. They don't make enough money to pay for their groceries, but they have to go if they wanna keep the job because there's 50 other people in line. That, I mean, that's the reality of um, this moment. And that's the self-care too, is that, um, yeah. And I also try to stay present. I try to feel the reality of what's going on in the world. A lot of times people are like, oh, I just can't think about it. I really want to, um, I want to stay thinking about it because not thinking about it is um, in a lot of ways what got us here. I love how you said all of that. And I especially love what you said that you really think about the little things that you need today, right? Mm -hmm. what, what do I need today in this moment, as opposed to I'm going to have a routine and it's going to be this and this and this every day. It's, yeah. you know, focusing on what you need today so yeah and that's just all part of your journey yeah and what your kids need what your spouse need I mean all of those things I mean there's we we've got to be gentle all around <laughs> absolutely I love that I think everyone needs to like give themselves a break and a hug and be gentle with themselves so uh, that's such great insight what do you like to do for fun outside of the Rona the Rona um, <laughs> definitively is not fun. You know, candidly, I'm not one of the big fun people. Uh, I love stories. I love reading. Um, I like, um, I like cooking now. I, I cook, I guess. Um, uh, I love learning mm, movies. I'm a huge movie, uh, kind of person who huge movie buff, you know, just spending time with my family is mm -hmm. uh, a big thing right now. Um, but once again, I, I just don't think this is a fun time. It just really <laughs> is not a fun time. And I think I just want to bring bubble it up for people. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, 
I'm incredibly blessed. I'm incredibly grateful. Um, but this is just not a fun time. It just is not. No, no. <laughs> and hopefully there's some light here at the end of the tunnel. Um, well, we know this conversation is going to move people um, in so many ways. And we love leaving our listeners with some practical tips or recommendations, things they could implement into their life immediately. And when I think about you know, the advice and recommendations, I know you've peppered some in throughout this conversation, but what can people do to take local, to take action in their local communities to help, you know, we all need to be part of the solution. And although it may be small, but what can they do to help with ending poverty and social injustice? Politics is local. Uh, get very involved regarding uh, local decisions that are happening in your communities. It feels very pedestrian. It doesn't feel sexy. You don't see massive you know, commercials on, but your secretary of state who determines locally where voting places are, um, your school board, even if your kids aren't in public schools, um, deeply matters. Your kids are not going to live in a microcosm. They go to a grocery store with somebody. Um, um, but really getting involved in um, local um, politics, local engagement and civic. And once again, because generational poverty is a social justice issue, there's a direct correlation and intersection within the context of that. If you're concerned about your taxes and the disproportionate, get involved because a lot of the decisions we're not making have long-term impl uh, implications that just cost us way more money. I would also say, this is not the time to wait for um, some or outsource some incredible uh, kind of moment or leader. Um, you know, I love to say that Martin Luther King gave the I Have a Dream speech, but that speech on the, um, the Washington Monument, Monument was only possible because of 387 days of a bus boycott. The pedestrian, the normal, the, the average Joe had to figure out how to get to work without Uber, had to figure out how to get to work without text and email. It's in the aggregate that that moment was able to happen. The whole idea that what you do doesn't matter. We're growing up on this podcast. It's BS. It's just complete BS. And so live a very, very intentional life. Understand that it matters when conversations are transpiring that play into con unconscious bias, be uncomfortable, um, be brave, be a support, a support for um, allies within the context of that. And just understand there's enough. This whole idea that um, there's not enough for everybody is just, um, it's just a very deficit-minded frame and it has this running scared and making poor choices and um, wanting to hold things for ourselves. Just remember what we've done, GI Bill. We, we, we've done really incredible things. Don't catch amnesia. Thank you. Thank you for those <laughs> beautiful suggestions. And what if people wanna get involved specifically in the Jeremiah program? There's a couple of things that I would say. One, go to jeremiahprogram.org. Uh, we need doers, do, um, donors, and door openers. Doers. We need people who um, want to serve as volunteers, um, support, uh, mentoring, uh, internships, et cetera. And specifically, you can't say you want to disrupt generational poverty for the non-traditional student and not have paid internships. Moms cannot work for free. I mean, you just, it's just 
doers. And so we need people who are going to create opportunities for um, moms to thrive. Um, donors, unequivocally, money makes the world go round. This whole idea that um, capitalism gonna, is going to go away. I look forward to joining that party, but right now it deeply matters. Um, and, um, and please don't, you know, bags of clothes, those are all great, but I need money and I need mm -hmm. people to support leaders like me, leaders who are pushing on things like me. It matters. Um, you know, when I talked about, I think Stephanie asked uh, if I've had to work harder and I said, I've had to be intentional to understand that, um, that uh, a lot of folks haven't been proximate uh, to leaders like me. That shows up with guarding fundraising. Uh, and so please know that. And this door openers, people that you want me to meet, th people that you think would be an incredible uh, support uh, for us. Um, I mean, please put me in uh, front of them. I'm happy to be in conversation with those. And so doers, donors, and door openers. I want you to be all three, not pick one. <laughs> hmm. Okay, love that. And we will link up all of this in the show notes so that for those of you that are walking, running, driving right now, um, you can check all this out in our show notes. So Chastity, one final question that we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Being patient, being present, being powerful. It really is around being for me. It really is around when I'm going through a rough time, being present and what makes me define that as a rough time. When I am having dinner with my family, as much as I have something to do after or kind of just being really present in that moment, being powerful, um, this whole idea that, um, you know, somebody else has a different chromosome, some secret sauce, uh, no, it really is around, um, in the aggregate, if we're all powerful, really the cape is just stronger and it flaps so much more. Um, yeah, it's about being. Um, it really is around me being in conversation with my greatness, me showing up as powerfully as possible, me being incredibly, incredibly generous with myself. And um, yeah. Yeah, that's what it means for me. That's beautiful. I love, I love that. I love just being. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that word kind of says it all too. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was an awesome conversation that we can't wait to share with everyone. So we loved um, having you. We loved having you. Stay safe. Hopefully next time we see or talk to each other next year at the... Jeremiah Bash will be out of the Rona and we'll be able to socialize in person with more than a couple people. <laughs> Sounds like a plan all day. <laughs> Thank you. I enjoyed all the right. conversation too. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.